Open the Word of God to the Gospel of John in the 14th chapter. John chapter 14. We are at the Last Supper in the upper room, and let's take a seat with the Lord of glory and his 11 apostles. He has told them he is departing. They're troubled, they're fearful, they're discouraged, they're wondering what's going to happen to them, and he comforts them with chapter 14 and 15 and 16, and then he lets them hear him pray to God his Father about them and about us in chapter 17. We're in the middle of chapter 14, and he has moved his topic from several other items like heaven and that he is going away to prepare a place for them, that he is coming back to get them. He's leaving that. And at verse 15, there is the divide I told you about last Lord's Day as he moves to tell them about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to be the main topic for the second half of this 14th chapter and all of 15 and 16. I want to start at verse 21 because we've made it that far. And I want to read verses 21 through 24, which are the next lesson. The promise of greater manifestation of himself to them even after he was gone. John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which hath sent me. Amen and amen. amen. The Apostle Paul said he counted all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus his Lord. We should count the knowledge of Jesus Christ more excellent than anything else we can learn or do in this life. And this is learning about Jesus Christ right here. Take a seat at the table with him in the upper room and listen to him. He's going to get up from this table in verse 31 and tell his 11 to get up as well and head for Bethany, the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. This is the foundation for any relationship with God and obtaining his personal favors is to obey him. Because these are the true friends of God. These are the ones that love him, that obey him. For you to honor someone, you need to obey them. If it's a boss or a civil ruler, you obey them. That shows your honor of them. That shows your affection toward them. And the Lord Jesus is going to call it friendship in the next chapter. In chapter 15 and verse 14, he said, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. I would hope this morning that we want to be the friends of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And his friends are the ones that keep his commandments and what he's commanded us. 
Jesus repeatedly stressed this. And yes, I know that I'm repeating myself. I do know that. Because if Jesus used the law of emphasis and repetition here for our benefit, I'm certainly going to follow his example. So he said in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. And he says in 21 that I just read, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he says it in 23, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And he says in verse 24, He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And then he said in verse 31, in the middle of the verse, As the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. And that's how I love the Father. And so obedience is the evidence of love. If we truly love Jesus Christ and love God, we will embrace his commandments and we will keep them and keep them with zeal. Jesus repeated this to his closest ministers right here in the upper room. Therefore, I should do the same. Jesus, by the previous lesson in verses 19 and 20, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. And we went over that last Lord's Day about how after the resurrection, there was such a display of the union between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles. Jesus stayed around for 40 days to show his apostles that he was alive, to eat with them, to let them touch him. And then he ascended back to heaven after 40 days. So it's the relationship of friendship and fellowship and closeness and love that God the Father has with Jesus Christ and that he has, they both have with us. That's verses 19 and 20. And the Lord here is just working off of that intending their personal relationship with him. They, like the rest of us, thought that relationships end with death. Because we say when we get married, till death do us part. But that isn't true in this case. This is the Lord of life. After death, it's going to get better. Instead of being with them and not being divisible, Jesus couldn't be in two places at one time in his role as mediator, but the Holy Spirit can be. I hope that you're thinking this morning the Holy Spirit can be in 200 places at once because he's divisible that way. And so it's going to get better. He's going to be in them. And so he's, he's comforting them. They're distraught. Jesus is going away. Our lives are going to fall apart. We're nothing but a bunch of dumb fishermen from Galilee. What are we going to do? How are we going to preach? What does he expect of us? We've relied on him. What is, what's he deserting us for? And so that's the tenor coming from them, but not from the Lord. His tenor is, I won't leave you comfortless. Guys, I wouldn't desert you. And he hasn't deserted us. Amen. He is seated at the right hand of power, but by his spirit, he is here in this church today, and he's in us Amen. by his spirit. And that spirit speaks to us, witnesses to us, confirms us, testifies to us, and moves us to believe certain things, like we are the sons of God. Right. Galatians 4 and Romans 8. If they were troubled by him departing, they could keep the friendship by their obedience. That's what he's telling them. 
in that 21st verse. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. That's my real friends. That's the real intimate relationship with me you show by obedience. And my Father and I will love you and will come to you. And as I've explained in many weeks leading up to these verses, this love of God is not the everlasting love of God he set upon his elect that saves them. This is love in his response to his obedient elect children in that he manifests himself more fully and more completely to them. It's what is taught in the epistle to the Ephesians of the higher levels of relationship and fellowship we can have with God through his Holy Spirit. And that is what Jesus is teaching. He's already introduced the Holy Spirit in verse 16, another comforter. He's identified him in verse 17, the Spirit of truth. Now he's explaining what he'll do. If you have my commandments, Jesus is saying, and you keep them, my Father is going to love you. He's going to have a greater, more personal, more intimate, fuller relationship with fellowship with you and friendship with you through the Spirit. So guys, I'm not deserting you. And if you'll keep my commandments, and if you'll get out there and preach like you're supposed to, God the Father and I will come to you. We'll make our abode with you. We'll manifest ourselves to you. Notice the word in the last part of this verse. I will love him, that is the man that obeys, last part of verse 21, and will manifest myself to him. I will manifest myself, singular pronoun referring to himself, to him. A man, a singular, singular man. I will come to him. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to come to you by the Spirit, another comforter. And so verse 21 is just elaborating on that for us. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. In the middle of verse 21. Here is one of the greatest offers possible for obedience to the commandments of God. Listen to the words. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. This is a conditional love of God in fellowship, in friendship, toward those that truly love him. This is not the saving love of God sending his son to die for his elect. This is, a this is a relational aspect that can be better and better by improved and more intimate fellowship and friendship with God. It's a fantastic offer. Amen. It's incredible. Yeah. It is the ultimate in comfort for someone who is worried, Jesus is going to leave me. Well... If you'll keep my commandments after I'm gone, my Father will love you. I will love you. And we'll both come to you. It doesn't get any better. And the Apostle Paul knew it didn't get any better. He wanted to win Christ. What did he want to win from Christ? His approval and his affection and an intimate relationship with him, just like his Christ taught right here. And so he pressed the Ephesian church to the same thing. Know this first. God's commandments are for your good. They are not grievous. But he, that is our God, far beyond the pleasures of this life, offers loving friendship to the obedient. And David knew it. If you go get into Psalm 18, David knew it. That he had a special relationship with God for his obedience. Right. The Lord liked me. The Lord's blessed me. Because I kept his commandments. It says so in Psalm 18. 
one of his greatest psalms because he wrote it at the end of defeating all of his enemies before he determined he would build God a house. And it's in the Bible two times because it's in 2 Samuel chapter 22 as well. This is God's manifestation. To manifest something is to make it plain, to reveal it, to expose it, to show it, to teach it. This is the manifestation of God to his children. This is the manifestation of God's love and Christ's love to his children for them to know it more perfectly. And the word manifest is right there in the 21st verse. We miss so much by focusing our attention on the other four phases of our salvation. You know, I thank God and rejoice that he's shown us five phases of salvation. We thank God that he elected us before the world began. That Christ died only for those elect on the cross of Calvary in the legal phase. That we're born again first while we're dead in sins by the power of the Holy Ghost. And that we are yet to be glorified. But it is so certain that Paul could use the past tense for it in Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. And you hath he glorified. Well, we're not glorified yet. But it's as good as done in the purpose of God. We love those phases. But we want to love the fourth phase. And the the fellowship and friendship we can have with the Almighty. Enoch walked with God and was not. God said, there's too much distance between us. Just come on home right now. And Enoch left this earth and was in heaven. So did Elijah. What did those... You say, I can never be like Enoch. Uh, Let's agree on that. But how about Elijah? We can be like Elijah. The Bible says that we are subject to like passions as Elijah was. And what kind of passions did Elijah have? Serious discouragement, bordering on depression and destruction. Sitting under a juniper tree 24 hours after having killed 950 false prophets and calling fire down from heaven wishing that he could die. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament that he was subject to like passions as we are. We can be like Elijah. Elijah went to heaven too, brethren. Noah walked with God. God saved him and his family from a world of ruin because he was the friend of God. Abraham was called the friend of God. Moses talked with God as friends talk face to face. Phinehas honored God So God gave him an everlasting covenant for all of his descendants. David delighted in God like no other. God gave him an everlasting progeny fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul served Jesus Christ so faithfully that he got a glimpse of heaven to encourage him. Paul got to go to heaven and come back and think about it. Couldn't talk much about it, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but he could think about it. What a blessing. These men obeyed God, and God had a closer relationship with them than others. Who is this father in verse 21? He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. Is this Joseph? No, this is Jehovah. This is God Almighty of the Bible. We could preach a whole sermon on that. Who is the father? Can we walk with God? Can he be our exceeding great reward? He can be. He seeks to be. He saved us for that purpose. He did not save us to get us out of hell. That is such an Arminian 
pitiful motivation for God. Why would he want to get us out of hell? We deserve to go to hell. His holiness and his justice say hell's the only place for them. Why would he save us? By sending his son? And this is life eternal. That they might know thee. And Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. John 17, 3. We're going to get to that. It's also in 1 John 5, 20. God saved to manifest himself to men that he might have a relationship with them and display hidden attributes that can only be revealed by having an enemy that he can forgive and love. Incredible! And he's offering to here to step it up a little. If, if you're not fully content with phases 1, 2, 3, and 5... He's got another one for you. And that's the practical phase of salvation. God's heart and spirit can communicate and fellowship with any man or woman more than anyone else can. No one else really knows your heart. I don't care that the Bible says, as face answereth to faith, as face answereth to face in water, so the heart of man to man. That is only to a certain point because there's other Proverbs that tell us No other man really knows what's going on in your heart. But there is a man that does. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And by his spirit, he can come and commune with us. And he wants to do so. And he's telling his apostles, don't worry, I'm not really leaving you. Just obey my commandments. Show your love and honor of God that way and your honor and love of me that way. And we will come to you. Anything in this life, no matter how noble or pleasant, cannot fully satisfy your soul. You will always be empty. It will not complete you. But God can complete you without anything pleasant in this life. You can be the Apostle Paul and suffer through this life, but have God with you, and that was more than enough for him. The Bible tells us, let not the mighty man glory in his strength. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. That just about covers it. Strength, education, wealth. But let him, delight, let him glory in this, that he knoweth and understandeth me and the things I delight in. And God will reveal himself more and more to the man or woman that keeps verse 21. There's plenty of comfort They did not need to be fearful. God the Father will love you as a friend. God the Father will love you as a friend. This is not loving you as a name in the book of life. This is loving you as a friend. It is not abstract theology. It is not a legal concept. It is not a vital connection that is unknown personally to you, like being born again. It is Almighty God Jehovah coming to you, living in you, and whispering to you. Look at Romans chapter 8. I used Romans 5 last week. I hope you'll never forget it. Romans 5, 5. The Spirit of God sheds abroad the love of God for us in our hearts. It's part of the grace of the practical phase of salvation. Romans 5, 5. This is Romans 8. Verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage 
again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit of God in us, we've received a gift from heaven. It's the gift of God's presence by His Spirit. And that gift of God's presence by His Spirit is not the spirit of the religion of the Old Testament of bondage again to fear. The Old Testament religion was one of bondage to all those commandments and fear because it couldn't save. But this is a spirit of adoption. You're my children. There's as much chance of me going to hell, Jesus would say, than you going to hell, as there is of you going to hell. And so there it tells us, we have the spirit of adoption in us, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's, right. it's working with us. And you know there are times when you know you're very close to God and you, you feel inside and are convinced and confirmed that he is your father. And you can say these words. And you can say, thank you for loving me. And you can say, I love you. And you know that it's personal. It's being heard. It's being reciprocated. Do you know what I'm talking about? You don't have it all the time because God isn't faithful. Wrong. You don't have it all the time because you're not faithful. And here it is. Here's the offer, and it's just a fantastic verse of Scripture. And the Bible bears it out, especially in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5 and 8 and 15. Because in 15, that same power of the Holy Ghost can fill you with all kinds of good things, and it's God's presence with you. And I will love him. Well, now, he's talking to his 11. Did Jesus already love the 11? Did he already love the 11 in the fourth practical phase of salvation? Did he already love the 11 personally? Did he already have fellowship with them? But there was more they could have. Oh, there's more. Because they were going to get really tried. See, when they're with Jesus, they're just hanging around with their big brother. And Jesus took all the heat. Jesus answered all the questions. Jesus led them. Jesus told them what to do. But they're going to be on their own. But if they would keep his commandments that he had given them, he that hath my commandments, and these eleven had the commandments of Jesus, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. You will show me that you are truly my disciples and lovers of me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. I will not leave you comfortless. This is the case for every believer. If we'll keep his commandments... God will come to us. The more we obey Him, the more we love Him, the more we're willing to sacrifice things for Him, the more He will reveal Himself to us and love us. Judas responds in verse 22, Judas saith unto him, this is not Judas Iscariot, the one that would betray him, because that man already left. Remember, he left in chapter 13 at the Last Supper. Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world. Most Christians, when they hear the name Judas, can only think of Iscariot, the betrayer. And so the Holy Spirit, through John, tells us that it was not Iscariot. There was another Judas among the twelve. He was the brother of James, the son of Alphaeus, and we're told that in the New Testament. This is all we know about him, by the way. Please, Lord, don't let me leave this world 
just being known for asking a dumb question. Please, yes, it's a dumb question. He just gave the answer. How are you going to manifest yourself to us and not manifest yourself to the world? By the spirit of truth, it's going to be in you and dwell with you. This is verse 17. He just told them. By the spirit of truth, because ye know him. He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, if the spirit of God is in you, the world isn't going to see it. Is it, Judas? And so, verse 20, it's embarrassing. But I'm going to tell you something. When the Lord got done with Judas, not Iscariot, he was a mighty man. He was an apostle. So just keep that in mind. Without the Spirit of God, we're all like Judas. Verse 22, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? He's thinking like a Jew. Jesus is the Messiah. Therefore, he's going to be like David, and he's going to whip all these nations, including Rome, and the whole world's going to see him because he's going to whip the nations of the world. If David whipped all the nations from the river Euphrates to the Nile River, just think what Messiah is going to do. All they could think of was that earthly kingdom, just like dispensationalists and just like futurists today. So that was his mindset. Lord, how how are you going to come back by the Spirit and show yourself to us, manifest yourself to us, and the world not see you? Because he's going to come back in us by his invisible Spirit. Does that bother you? Do you wish he was here physically? He's going to tell you shortly, if you really loved me, you would let me go and get out of here and be with my father because my father is greater than me. He's going to tell us that in just a minute. It may take more than a minute because it's there toward the end of John 14. So what does Jesus do in answer to this question? Jesus is very kind. He's down to a couple of hours left with his apostles. He repeats himself. So verse 23 is a repetition of verse 21 because he's answering Judas and he doesn't give him any more details. He just tells him the same information over again, which is actually the information that he gave in verses 16 and 17 and 18. I will come to you. I will come to you by the Spirit. They knew what a spirit was. A spirit is a ghost. He said, I didn't know there were ghosts. There's ghosts in the Bible sense of the word, which means a spirit. And so verse 23 is the same thing, and we don't need to go through it all again, but there it is, an offer repeated. An offer repeated from God for you to have a better, more full, intimate relationship with him. The world is the enemy of God. It didn't even know Jesus Christ, and it crucified him. And it doesn't know us. It doesn't understand spiritual things. They're foolish to the natural man, but we know them. And so Jesus repeated in verse 23. Let's go through the, let's just look at the words and read it to you. Jesus answered and said unto him, now he's speaking directly to Judas, the brother of Elpheus, for his question in verse 22, how will you show yourself to us and the world won't see you? If a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. There will be a spiritual presence with those that keep my commandments. The world will not see the spiritual presence. It will be with you. It will be in you. 
We will abide there forever. We will never leave a man that keeps my commandments. And so we have verse 23. What a glorious repetition of such a fantastic offer by Jesus Christ to his apostles. The plurality of the Godhead is introduced to us here. I want you to notice the pronouns in the second half of verse 23. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. We have a we and we have an our. An our. O-U-R. Plural pronouns. When do you first encounter them in the Bible? How far do you have to read to know that there's a plurality in our Godhead? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Let us make man in our image. Now we have Jesus Christ saying, My Father will love him, and we will come unto him. Jesus doesn't come unto us physically. He comes unto us spiritually. He is the Word of God. And the Father comes to us spiritually by the Holy Spirit. Is that enough for you? God, the Trinity, in us, with us, and abiding there. We will make our abode with him. An abode is a habitual residence. It's a dwelling, an abiding place. That's why it's called an abode. Jesus has already declared back up there in verse 16, in the last few words of that verse, that he may abide with you forever. So it's God the Holy Spirit, it's God the Father, and it's God the Word. We will come to you. What do you think of that? Is that a decent offer? It is unbelievable. But it's here, so we're going to believe it. The Bible says it. That settles it. Thank you, Lord. God adopted you as a son to know him and to enjoy him. Verse 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. The difference between men, Jesus is pointing out to the apostles, those that love me keep my commandments. Verse 15, 21, 23. Those that don't obey me don't love me. And you can tell by how zealous they are about obeying my commandments. If you do not keep the sayings of Jesus, then you do not love him no matter what you think about yourself or say about yourself or anyone else says about you. Too many today think that fuzzy and warm feelings by the volume of a praise band is love. That isn't love. That's a physical response that a dog gets. I can give a junkyard dog a response Get, get a response out of a junkyard dog with music. You can get a response out of plants with music. That isn't loving him. Loving him is keeping his commandments. Loving him is not putting a WWJD bracelet on your arm. Jesus would never put a WWJD bracelet on anyone's arm. It is a sin to wear a WWJD bracelet. If you don't understand that, go to our website and type in WWJD. Do you know what Jesus said 
about enlarging the borders of your garment and wearing phylacteries on your arm, on your forehead, public announcements like that, that you're religious? He condemned it as a sign of the Pharisees. The point being, what is love of Christ? It's keeping his commandments. It's delighting in him. It's seeking to win him by giving him your life and suffering the loss of all things, like we read in Philippians chapter 3. And the word which ye hear is not mine. The things that I teach and the sayings that I've given you, they're not just mine, they are God's. And the rule that I'm giving you right now is not just mine, it is God's. We come to the next lesson in verse 25. Promise of the Holy Ghost and peace. I read three verses beginning at 25. These, Jesus is still speaking. If you have a red letter edition Bible, it should be read. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Men, life is good. Salvation is good. Amen. I'm going to take care of you men. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. And so we have verse 27 and verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. And do we have a bunch of stuff in between that should take away all the troubles of your heart? Right. We have it in 27. We have it in verse 1. And this lesson of Jesus to this point is to comfort them. He's going to get a little deeper about bearing fruit and so forth in the next two chapters. But it's to comfort them that though he's going away personally, he was not deserting them nor leaving them. They had another comforter, and there was no reason for them to be troubled about it or to be afraid of what the future held without him. Verse 25, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. While Jesus had the apostles present with him, he verbally taught them many things. The apostles had a fabulous privilege for learning by Jesus teaching them personally. We're sitting at the table with him. He's teaching them, he's comforting them in these 27 verses. But the apostles had significant handicaps by not grasping. They did not understand what Jesus said, nor could they remember what he said. They had two serious handicaps. Can I show them to you in the context? Well, it's right there in verse 22. Lord, how are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Because it's the Spirit coming, Judas. God's a spirit. The Father's a spirit. In my divine nature, I'm a spirit. The Holy Spirit's a spirit. Surprise you, Judas? We'll come to you and make our abode with you. So they didn't understand. Jesus had already explained he was coming by the Spirit. Does it say that in verse 17? Even the Spirit of truth? Does it say in verse 17, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not? Could he have been any plainer? No, he couldn't have been, but Judas didn't understand it. So we have the ignorance of the 11, and we have their inability to remember, because he has taught them for three and a half years, 
And by reading this chapter, we've had three of them respond in this chapter so far, and by reading their responses, they haven't really learned anything. Pitiful. So we have, we have a cure coming for it. We have a cure really close by right. that's coming for all this. I just want you to grasp, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. You know, men, I've been with you for three and a half years. I have verbally told you a great deal. You have heard countless sermons. I have tried to tell you things, but you don't understand them, and you don't remember them. So I'm going to leave. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. I've told you a lot while I was with you. But, notice the but, is a disjunctive. There's an adversarial contrasting relationship here between these two verses. Though I have been with you personally, and though I have taught you a great deal, you haven't made much progress. But we will make progress when another teacher comes, when another comforter comes that is the Holy Spirit. So we get, come to verse 26. But the comforter, which he'd already introduced in verses 16 and 17, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, Notice, number one, he shall teach you all things, correcting their ignorance. Two, bring all things to your remembrance, correcting their poor memories, whatsoever I have said unto you. I've been with you in person. I've taught and taught and taught. And Judas, you can't remember for 10 seconds. Because in verses 16 and 17, I explain how I would do it. And you're asking me how I would do it. Now, Jesus is much more gracious than I am trying to make a point to you. I would hope that I might be a little more gracious if I was dealing with someone that had forgot what they had been taught. But right now, I just want to make a point to you of what Jesus is dealing with and how big verse 26 is. Verse 26 is huge because the Holy Spirit is going to take care of both handicaps. And he's going to take care of it in short order. And he's going to take care of it to a high degree of understanding. Anybody want to take on an apostle? They didn't need to study. An apostle could just stand up and let her go in any language, on any subject, and be completely accurate and thorough and pull together every pertinent text from the Old Testament, even though they were uneducated, ignorant fishermen from Galilee, the backwoods of Israel. Right. Pretty impressive. Yep. Thank you, Lord. Because what's a, and I hope that uh, you're not offended by me working hard, working over Judas kind of hard. That's the only thing he's in the Bible for. You know, it'd be nice to have a book called Judas, Not Iscariot, of about 10 or 20 chapters of him taking a continent for the Lord. But we, that's it. He's the brother of Elpheus. Can't even stand on his own. Elpheus isn't the brother of Judas. Poor guy. I'm going to tell you what. Are there 24 thrones in heaven? Are there 12 for the Old Testament and 12 for the New? Right. Oh, yes. And Lord, if I've been unduly hard, I'm trying to make a point. Because you changed these men gloriously. Amen. And you've changed us. And we're going to celebrate it in a week's time. And they glorified God in me. Judas would tell, tell us that after Pentecost. I got recorded in scripture just in one place for asking a dumb question that Jesus had already explained. But now look at me. And they glorified God in me. Galatians 1.24. Be thinking about it. Has God done anything in your life 
to glorify himself through you? And they glorified God in me. Verse 26. Look at it. But the use of the inspired disjunctive to tell us that Jesus knew their handicaps, that they hadn't really benefited from his personal ministry with them for three and a half years. In just three and a half seconds, they're going to get a change in Acts chapter 2. It's going to take just a few seconds, and they're going to change. One week earlier, Acts chapter 1, one week earlier before Pentecost, they're still asking him if the kingdom's going to be restored to Israel, if it's still a national deal. When's the Messiah going to come and make us great on earth again? They still didn't understand. But on the day of Pentecost, Peter starts doling out Joel, Psalms, Psalm 16. Unbelievable. What happened to Peter? The Holy Ghost happened to Peter. Right here in verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, the apostles' two handicaps were about to be taken away. They did not understand, and they could not remember. The Father will send in my name. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a gift from God to Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ in turn gave to his church for us to have the personal presence of God with us. That's the gift of the Holy Ghost. God promised it. God gave it. Jesus in turn, God gave it to Jesus. Jesus in turn gave it to us. That's John 7. That's John 14 where we're at. That's Acts 2. That's everywhere you turn to look for the gift of the Holy Ghost. He shall teach you all things. This is the cure for their first apostolic handicap. Their ignorance ruined their understanding of what Jesus told them. Though Jesus had taught them personally, they did not understand, remember, or connect things well. The Holy Ghost would not teach them audibly like Jesus had. He would teach them internally much better. They should have wanted him to, Lord, we're sorry for being troubled. Please, please do whatever is necessary and go back to the Father. What a great blessing, especially for these Galileans. When you open the Bible, do you ask God to show you wondrous things? They had the Bible. What age do you want to guess for the average, the average apostle, apostolic age? 40? Were they 35? Were they 40? They had heard the Bible read, the Old Testament, over and over and over and over and over and over. They would have known large sections of it by having heard it so many times, but they, couldn't, they didn't understand it. But they're about to. And, you know, we've heard the scriptures and we've read the scriptures and we have two testaments now. And when you read the Bible, Psalm 119 and verse 18 should be your prayer. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Amen. Open thou mine eyes. You say that's Old Testament. The Apostle Paul prayed for that blessing on the entire church of the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1 that the spirit of wisdom and revelation Listen to the words carefully. Do, you, do I need to turn you? Can you listen to them? That the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's to know God better. Right. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God better. And Paul prayed that for his own church where he had been for over two years as its pastor. So we need that when we read the Bible. Let's ask him to help us. Verse 26, but the comforter that I told you about in verses 16 and 17, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, and he came on the day of Pentecost, that's when the Father sent him, 
He shall teach you all things. They had all the answers. They opened scriptures and explained scriptures, and they, they gathered together at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, and they handled that issue. They oh, they handled issues. They pulled up Amos chapter 9. They pulled up Joel chapter 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 110. They knew the scriptures. Bang! By the Holy Spirit. You have no idea what the Holy Spirit can do for you. And you will never exhaust him in your lifetime. Right. No man has ever exhausted the Holy Spirit. The church at Ephesus had to have been one of the, before Revelation chapter 2. If you go to Revelation chapter 2 and read the resume of the church at Ephesus, it was an incredible church. Right. It has about 10 wonderful traits of that church mentioned by Jesus Christ before he said, you've lost your first love. But putting that aside just for a moment, they had doctrine and they tried those that said they were apostles and were not and found them liars and threw them out. They were a good church. They were diligent. They were zealous. But they lost their first love for Christ. But before that, when we go to the epistle of Ephesians, that's just a few years removed from Paul being their pastor. Paul's telling them how much more they could have through the ministries of the Holy Spirit. I do not want you to forget that. Two occurrences, each chapter, six chapters of Ephesians. There are 12 sections in that epistle about great things by the Spirit of God. Amen. That is God the Trinity with us. In us. His person, his presence, his power, his protection, his prosperity. Pick any words you want. Lord, help us. We want more. Amen. We want thee, Lord. Draw nigh to us as we draw nigh to thee. And bring all things to your remembrance. Second half of verse 26, or the last part of it. And bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Jesus has said nothing to you. Notice verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. Jesus hasn't been present with us. Jesus hasn't said things to us for the Holy Spirit to bring them to our remembrance. This is an apostolic gift. If you don't make this an apostolic gift, and there are lots of people that don't want it to be an apostolic gift because they want to sit at home rejecting churches and ministers and come up with everything on their own because it says, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and they ram themselves into the word you and bring all things to your remembrance. But this is apostolic. And he brought everything. We see it fulfilled in the, in the book of Acts. Right. Jesus hasn't said anything to you. What needs to be brought to your memory? There's nothing to remember. These apostles that had everything brought to their memories put it down in writing. Right. That's why you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because the things that were said were said to them. The Holy Spirit brought it back to their memories and they wrote it all down. How great was this gift? They wrote detailed gospel accounts of his earthly ministry. From one village to this village, and the man's name there was such and such. Jairus had a daughter, and then we went over here, and then we went there, and the Lord did this, and it was 5,000, and that time it was how many loaves and how many fishes? And then it was 4,000, some other number of loaves and fishes, and there were seven baskets full. Take. Did they remember quite a bit? Yeah. They did. Praise the Lord. Amen. And we get, we get to sit here and read it. All about our Lord Jesus Christ. 
All about our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for all this. How great was it they wrote the detailed gospel accounts. It was going to be, their knowledge was going to be so great, Jesus told them, don't you dare meditate when you're going to go on trial. If you're down in a dungeon, you know the next day you're going to be on trial for your life, don't you meditate? Don't you think about what you're going to say. I'll take care of you when you get up there. And they did. Oh, the deacon Stephen, have you read what he said in Acts chapter 7? How Acts chapter 6 is about that big. Acts chapter 7 is about that big. Do you know what Acts chapter 7 is? A deacon named Stephen on trial for his life. Right. You ought to read it. Where did he get that? It said his face was shining like an angel, and they could not answer a deacon defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. He shut their mouths. And when they couldn't answer him, they plugged up their ears and ran on him and stoned him to death because that's all they can do with the truth is stone it. They can't deal with it, they can't answer it, and they won't believe it. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace I leave with you. Brethren, this is not some esoteric, mysterious event that you cannot comprehend or experience yourself. Peace I leave with you. Peace is no commodity like potatoes to give a person. It is a blessing and a perspective on things. Every epistle but James opens or closes with peace. You know that about the Bible, the New Testament. Every epistle except James. James just wants to get right to the point, and trust me, he does, and he continues right through the point in the last two verses of chapter 5. But every other epistle starts with peace and or ends with peace. Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied. Peace, peace. There's wonderful peace because of Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only did he give the reasons for peace, he promised the comforter of all peace. Now the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy. Joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope the power of the Holy Ghost. The power of the Holy Ghost can fill you with all peace. Peace I leave with you. Man, have you heard what I've said to you? The Father and I will come by the Spirit and dwell with you and be in you and he will be another comforter. He will be like me with you. You have thought things were rather peaceful as long as I was around. Now you're troubled because I'm saying I'm going away, but I'm coming back, and you have all the peace in the world. The Holy Ghost is going to be in you, and he will never leave you. Right. Peace, I leave with you. Please remember, we are at the table in the upper room, and Jesus is comforting troubled disciples, apostles, who are afraid of him leaving. Peace I leave with you. The peace I have left with you is based on reasons and it's based on a person. Oh, there is so much here. He had given them every reason to have peace and forget their foolish, immature fear. In verse 1, did he say that he and God were to be believed equally? John 14, 1. Did he tell them in verse 2 that God had an apartment for each of them in his house in heaven? Did he tell them in verse 3 that the reason he was going away was to finish preparations for them? Yep. Did he tell them in verse 3 that he was coming again for them? Amen. 
Did he add promises of his return, his unity with the Father, the greater works they would do, their new power in prayer, the Holy Spirit in them for fellowship and love from the Father and himself, perfect knowledge and memory coming, etc., etc., etc. Peace I leave with you. You're troubled. I am giving you all the reasons for peace. And I'm giving you the person of peace, right. the Holy Spirit. That's, this, isn't, this isn't some esoteric, mysterious, apostolic event that took place where they were just washed over with some peace. They had the Holy Spirit given to them just like we get, and they had the same promises. Hey, does, has anybody ever found peace by reading John 14 before? Hey, have you ever found peace by reading the first three verses of John 14? Isn't that amazing? Amen. So it's the reasons and it's the person that gives us peace. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, peace, I leave with you. It's your legacy. You don't have to be afraid of everything. I'm, I'm, anything, I'm leaving it with you. You have peace. It's going to last forever. Amen. As long as you're keeping my commandments. Yeah. Because then the Holy Spirit is not grieved or quenched and you will have all the peace you need. There's Paul and Silas down there in Acts chapter 16 in Philippi named after Alexander the Great's father of Macedonia, and they're down in a dungeon, and they're singing and praising God so loudly all the prisoners could hear them. They had been, they're naked. They had been beaten and locked up down there. But they, were, they had lots of peace. He had promised a comforter to replace him. That comforter speaks peace to their souls. That comforter doesn't bring again the spirit of bondage to fear. But that comforter brings the spirit of adoption, which is a verse I've already shown you. I've already used Romans 5. I've used Romans 15. Paul would tell Timothy, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Yes. Timothy, I know you're young. I picked you young. I picked you for a reason. Let no man despise thy youth. Let no man despise you and your authority in the gospel. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. You get out there and do what you're supposed to do. He's given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now get to it. Because there's peace. My peace I give unto you. It's the personal peace of the Son of God that he left as a legacy to the 11 apostles and thus to us as well. His peace was by the Spirit without measure. Remember, Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. And Pete, what's the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is... What's that third one? Peace. Oh, it's peace. And so if Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure, how much peace did he have? Without measure. So what did he say here? Peace I leave with you, men. My peace I give unto you. I'm giving you the peace of the Holy Ghost, of God's presence and God's power inside you. No wonder, he said, before the verse can close, let not your heart be troubled. Right. I've given you all the reasons for peace, and I'm giving you the person of peace, the Holy Ghost. Amen. His peace was by faith in God and God's promises, which faith they were going to have abundantly by the power of the Holy Ghost, because I believe if we were to go on in Galatians 5.22, we would end up with faith down there as a fruit of the Spirit as well, wouldn't we? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. What does the world know about peace? They're ignorant and destructive of real peace. Even a sincere worldling cannot give you peace if there is such a thing as a sincere worldling. He has no power nor wisdom for what real peace is. No other soul can relate to your soul troubles. 
like the Lord Jesus Christ can. He was tempted at all points, like as we are. Therefore, we can come boldly under the throne of grace, right. knowing that he understands every difficulty that we have. He can give peace. What earthly examples of personal peace should we consider to know their ignorance? And I have too many here in my outline. But the hippies and their revolution in the 1970s, when I was a 15-year-old lad, they rejected authority. They called it peace. Peace. Their broken upside-down cross hanging in a circle. They called it peace. 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 The little effeminate fairies that wandered around this country with their long hair. Hippies. They called it peace. But they rebelled against authority and brought on anarchy. They don't know anything about peace. While they exalted free love and other nonsense, they destroyed peace for a nation. The peace of communism is one of history's greatest paradoxes by genocidal rulers. We'll get rid of class warfare. We'll all be at peace. Are you kidding? Then the man sitting at the top goes to war and kills half of those under him because he's afraid of them. Unbelievable. America has all the reasons for peace, Yet look, consider all the drugs, drunkenness, divorce, and dysfunction in America. Rebel man considers it peaceful when no one tells or forces him to do what is right. That isn't peace. That's war against God. That's war against morality. That's war against truth. There is no peace to the wicked. God says in Isaiah 48 and Isaiah 57, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. They don't understand peace. Let not your heart be troubled, men. The world doesn't know anything about peace. You're going to go through this world. They're all messed up, mixed up, terrorized. They're on drugs. They're, on, they're medicated to keep their fear away. But I'm telling you, I'm giving you peace right now. It's your legacy. It is, it is tremendous peace. You'll be able to go and do anything. You'll be able to testify before Caesar. You will not be afraid. And when you are afraid, you'll put your trust in God and he'll deliver you. And he may deliver you into heaven by a chariot ride. But he'll take care of you. That's still being delivered, brethren. Verses 28 and 29, his departure to the Father was good. Verse 28, let me back up just a second into verse 27 again. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. That is an order. Neither let it be afraid. That's an order. That's a saying of Jesus. Let every person here know that their heart is under their control. Your heart is under your control. Choose peace for it. Trouble is not stronger than your spirit, especially with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes you need to address yourself and tell yourself to grow up and be at peace. Did David ever do that? Yes. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Right. It's Psalm 42 and verse 5, Psalm 42 and verse 11, Psalm 43 and verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God, grow up. Amen. Hope thou in God. Yep. He's going to yet be the, the, the uh, light of your countenance and the life of your countenance. Sometimes we need to do that. So on to verse 28. Hold with me, please. Let's go fast now. Verses 28 and 29. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. Jesus said that, those things in the first three verses, right here, sitting at the table with his eleven. 
If ye loved me, ye would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father. The apostles were disturbed. Jesus would leave them because they were selfish. They were thinking of their own self-interest instead of his. Because look what he says. If ye loved me, he's going to say in the middle of this verse, ye would rejoice that I'm leaving you. Because I'm going someplace better. Because love, what is love? Love is desiring the well-being of another person even at your own sacrifice. The apostles were going to lose, they thought, by Jesus going away. They weren't. They were going to be the winners themselves. But it was for Jesus' benefit. Do you know what he, what did he know was set before him? For the, for the joy. joy that was set before him. Why would you want to keep him on earth? For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross and despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of Almighty God. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father. For Jesus to be with his Father in heaven would be a tremendous blessing for Jesus. They were keeping him back because they were so self-absorbed at this time and short-sighted they missed the benefit of his departure for himself. For my Father is greater than I. Jesus' presence made them glad. We're going to learn, we're going to learn that in John chapter 20 when they see him after his resurrection. Jesus' personal, physical presence made the apostles glad. But he was going for them to the Father. They should have wanted him to go. The great power of Almighty God would be theirs with Jesus beside him. For my Father is greater than I. Let this text crush those eternal sonship heretics that make the Son equal to the Father because this text says the Son isn't equal to the Father. My Father is greater than I. How is the Father greater than Jesus? In his mediatorial role as the Son of God, by the, God, the combination of a God-man, he's got a human nature and a divine nature. But in, in his, when it's combined and it's spoken of like this, he's inferior to the Father because his human nature is inferior to the Father. This is, this is also used in, I mean, there's a verse like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, that says that the Son will be subordinate to the Father, that God may be all in all. Look at that 28th verse. You've heard, I've told you guys, that I go away and come again, so I'm not leaving you forever. I'm going to come back. If you loved me, you'd rejoice because I said I'm going to my Father. I'm not just running away to get away from you guys. I'm going to my Father. My Father's greater than I am. I'll be at his right hand. I'll be interceding for you, and I'm going to send you the gift of the Holy Ghost from the Father. And now I have told you before it come to pass, verse 29, I've told you this in advance. I, I didn't surprise you. I told you in advance that I'm going to my Father. So that when it does come to pass, you might believe. I'm going to confirm your faith even before the day of Pentecost. And he did. He told them that he was going away. He had told them bad events in advance. John chapter 13, still at the same table. He had told them about being betrayed that night. And he said, I've told you in advance. So when it happens, you won't be all disturbed, but you'll believe that I am he. Because I've told you what one of you is going to do to me and none of you know who it is. But I know who it is. And you're going to see it fulfilled. And then you'll know that I am he. I'm the Messiah. Now that's bad events. This is good events. I'm going away and I've told you in advance that I'm going away so that when I do go away, you'll believe. If he had told them he would go to the Father, then its occurrence of him going to the Father would confirm their faith that she might believe. Jesus made sure they clearly saw him ascend into heaven, not just die or disappear. 
Did Jesus disappear for hours and days at a time during that 40-day period? Yes, he did. But oh, when he went to heaven, he made sure that they were there. He was talking to them. He gave them their final instructions. And then he slowly ascended up out of this gravitational pull of this little tiny planet and got up into the clouds. And they're standing there watching him go up. And the angels came and explained what had happened. Do you see it all? Do you see him saying, I've told you before it come to pass, what event is under consideration right here in this context? I'm departing to go to my father, that when it comes to pass, you might believe. So their faith was confirmed to them. They saw him do exactly what he said he was going to do. Go back to his father in heaven. He had taught them how to pray. Our father, which art in heaven. And where did he go? Straight up. And so they had their faith confirmed. This is the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ. Has he ever spoken peace to your soul? He was able to say, peace, be still, to a raging storm at sea. And we have we move from a great storm to a great calm in a verse. Peace, be still. If you keep your minds fixed on him, he's able to give you peace that passes understanding. He can keep you in perfect peace, according to the testimony of Scripture. Amen. Fulfilled prophecy is much more than speculation. It's for building greater faith. The reason there are so many prophecies in the Bible is for God to prove to you that he's God and for it to build your faith in him. That's, that's the chapters in Isaiah 40 through 49 that we love so much because it's God saying, bring your strong reasons. You don't believe in me? You want to believe in one of these other gods over here? Would you please tell me something that they told you was going to come to pass and it did come to pass and they told you about it before? Would you, would you share some of those fulfilled prophecies with me? There's about nine chapters like this in the Bible. And they're wonderful chapters in Isaiah because fulfilled prophecy is for building our faith. Do you want to know that I'm God? Because I've declared these things before they came to pass. And this is what he said right here. I've told you before it comes to pass that when it does come to pass, you might believe. Last lesson. Our, Jesus is saying to them, my time before my death is limited. Look at verse 30. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. This is not mysterious language. I've only got a few minutes left. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. I've done everything I can to comfort you. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Our Lord wrapped up his lesson in the upper room and warned them that he had only a few minutes or a couple of hours left with them. That's what the words here mean. His words here indicate the importance they should attach to the things he had just told them. That while I'm with you, I have told you things that are necessary for your success and prosperity, but I'm not going to be with you, but for a little longer. It is prudent to realize that life is very short and to apply ourselves unto wisdom like Psalm 90 teaches each one of us. The prince of this world is the devil himself who goes under various names and titles. We were already introduced to this name and title of the devil in John chapter 12. Satan was coming in the mob that was leaving Jerusalem and following Judas to Gethsemane. There would be a couple hour delay while Jesus makes his trip under a full Passover moon out to Bethany to the Mount of Olives. And these three chapters are going to be covered, 15, 16, and 17. And then he will enter into Gethsemane 
in the garden where he's taken by an angry mob that has Satan motivating it because we were told in chapter 13 already that Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. The prince of this world cometh. How's he coming? Not in spirit form, but in the influence of Judas Iscariot, whom he had entered in chapter 13, back there where Jesus said to him, that thou doest, do quickly. I love our Savior. What a leader. What a captain of our salvation. Sitting at that table with that betrayer. He said, what thou doest, do quickly. Go ahead and get your mob. And yet he speaks like this. He speaks like this chapter 14 to his 11. Though they showed so much ignorance, look at his graciousness. Look at his kindness to teach them and promise them and share the most detailed facts that we can find in the gospel accounts. There's no verse in Matthew, Mark, or Luke like, in my father's house are many mansions. You know if I say anything like that to you, you've got to go to John. Is that why you like John? I know that's your favorite book of the Bible. At least you've told me that. I may have heard that cause. John 14, in my father's house are many mansions. What comfort he gave them. And so he says here, hereafter I will not talk much with you. Men, I don't have much time left. The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. The devil's coming to take me to trial with an angry mob led by one of your brothers called Judas Iscariot. I will go on trial for my life. They will not be able to find anything against me because the devil has nothing in me. The devil who can vet you better than anyone else in the world except God himself has nothing on me. Is verse 30. I'm, I have to wrap things up, men. We got to get up and go back to Bethany. We got to go to the, the Mount of Olives where he was wont to go to pray. We need to go back there. But the devil is coming through Judas Iscariot and this angry mob and hath nothing in me. I love the testimony of the Gospel of John, chapter 18, and twice in chapter 19, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. Hath nothing in me. You know the devil's got something in you, and the devil's got something in me. And he doesn't have something. He has some things in you and some things in me. But he can't bear that to heaven anymore because who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And he can't bear that to you if you would simply resist him by holding up the shield of faith and believing that your sins are forgiven through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have an inspired disjunctive opening up verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father. Why is the devil going to get his hands on me? Because he's stronger than me? No. Because I deserve to die? No. Why am I going to be taken captive and crucified? Because I'm a sinner? Because I'm a criminal? No. Because the devil's stronger than me? No. How do we know all that? By an inspired disjunctive. But setting something in opposition to what he had just said. The devil's coming. The devil's going to get me. You're going to see it with your own eyes. You guys are going to flee. I'm going to go on trial for my life. I'm going to be crucified. Why is it going to happen? But that the world may know. And this world is you and me. 
the world of God's elect, the world of believers, but that the world may know that I love the Father. What an example! He is moments from being attacked in the Garden of Gethsemane. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Even so, as, as even so, in English, a very strong and powerful comparison, exactly as given by God, I am going to fulfill every detail of it. A lamb, remember he was going to go as a lamb to the slaughter. Did Jesus revile or threaten them? Would you have? If you'd have had his power, he fulfilled every scripture. He did it exactly as his father commanded him to do. Even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. His instruction was to get up from the table and go with him the two miles to Bethany. The other gospels confirmed that it was Gethsemane. They sang a hymn and they went out. They walked from Jerusalem under a full moon. It was Passover. As he continued to teach them, chapters 15, 16, and 17, Gethsemane is chapter 18. The scene with Jesus and his men around midnight is incredibly beautiful and glorious. We can't go back and be with him there, but we can be with him right now, and he will be with us right now. The Lord of glory with us, this Lord Jesus Christ. He told them they needed to get going. Was Jesus' heart ever troubled? Be very careful with your answer. Yes, it was. Was his spirit ever troubled? Was it troubled at the funeral for Lazarus, John chapter 11? Was it troubled in John 13? Is it troubled right now? Indeed. Do you think they're going to know it? No. And I'm speaking to every father in here right now. You better be able to bear some of your troubles yourself. Look, what, look how Jesus is talking. Who should be getting the comfort? He should. Who should be giving the comfort? The 11. Who, in fact, is giving the comfort? Jesus. Who's getting the comfort? The 11 guys are going to run away and hide. What a Savior. Amen. We're going to, you know, we sing many times, Hallelujah, what a Savior. We have a great Savior. He told them they needed to get going. They did not tell him. He is always our leader, even to torture and death. May God bless the preaching of his word about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that your heart is not troubled, and neither are you afraid. We don't face the adversities and difficulties the apostles did, yet we have all their promises, and we have the promise of the Holy Spirit, which they did not have until the day of Pentecost. We have them now, and we have these promises, and they've written down even more promises for us in the epistles. We are blessed indeed. Amen.